handle the truth. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back. Welcome back to another great episode of Thursday Night Get Right with my co-host, Mr. Demetrius Knuckles Hill. And of course, I'm Thomas Freeme. And another Thursday night, man. This is the last Thursday night of 2022. It's crazy. How was y'all's Christmas? How was y'all's week, man? I pray that everybody had a great Christmas that it was filled with with family love, man, and gathering and, and uh, you know, plans on, on what we're going to do in 2023. So um, welcome back, Mr. Demetrius. How was your week, partner? I ain't got no sign from you. Yeah, I was on mute. There you go. And, uh, it was very hectic, man. Uh just traveling to North Carolina, driving, literally driving uh, 10, 10 hours straight there, mm. and then getting down there only to not have any rest whatsoever, not one minute to pack up my cousin's house and to uh, get him down here, drove right back. Uh, I had help driving back, though. So it was, a, it was very hectic. Uh, it was that Tuesday. Wednesday, and I still haven't had much sleep today because we had to unpack yesterday and today. But other than that, hey, I look at it like this. As I always say, as long as I'm breathing, I got another chance. You know what they say, partner. You know, a hustler, a hustler's going to hustle, man. That's what we do. <laughs> That's right. That's what we do, man. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit tonight about prison guards, man. You know, I got a I got a little TikTok going viral. It's got over 50,000 views of of a of a CEO standing in front of an inmate yelling into the cell, you know, about this is his block and he runs the show and he's not getting nothing. And I made a, a stitch to that TikTok trying to explain this right because it appears that this is a, a tough CEO and you know and of course the comments were like that's right give them hell and you know these guys deserve that and you know blah 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 and I just wanted to give a little bit of clarity to that and have the people understand that that cop is not talking to the person who society wants that cop to talk to he's not talking to the killers the violent people that way, who that cop is getting off on like that, who he's talking to like that is uh, a quiet individual, somebody that's doing their time, uh, trying to maybe go home, trying to get to a lower security institution, maybe trying to to get into a program uh, or such. Uh, how do you feel about that, D? Am I correct on that? Mm-hmm. This is how I feel about it. I'm, I'm, I'm looking up this guy right now, right? And I'm going to tell you the funny story behind it. Story I time. Berger, I, was a, I was at Berger Correctional Facility. We had just opened up Berger Correctional Facility in 1993. And uh, so there's a lot, a lot of foul police up there because we had just opened the facility. So they wanted the biggest officers there who would talk the toughest to us 
And this was a, a maximum correctional facility. And it was all the way up in the boondocks. So a lot of police was filed, but I'm, I'm just talking about one right now because it's an interesting story behind it. And he would holler at us and talk stuff to us and middle finger us and F and they help us and take our food and all this type of stuff. Cause we was in a hole, ass dead to shoot. So he would talk about how we need a dying prison and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, all he was doing was provoking us, uh, provoking that wrath. And so you can't handle the truth. So, so this was the funny thing. And it ain't funny because I, we have, what just happened? Nothing, you're clear on me. I hear you repeating yourself. You're getting a feedback. Maybe do you have something else planned like on a, uh... nope. No, you're still getting nope. that. You're still getting an echo. No, I got you repeating the whole start of the show off. Hmm. That's all right. That's all right. So, so the guy Bruce Moylan, that was the correct, uh, uh, his brother, now Bruce Moylan, okay, this guy, his brother, he ended up getting arrested for killing his wife. Right? So he get arrested for killing his own wife. Now, they had the audacity to bring the man's brother to do quarantine at that facility where his brother was the correction officer, right? Mm. Now, the irony was that he said that we should spend the rest of our lives in prison. And now here was his brother. I got it right. You can't see it, but I got his brother right here, right? And so it was a running joke because here it is. You wanted us to spend the rest of our life in prison, but look how calm a bitch. And now... That guy, same police officer, is now calls himself being a fighter for justice because his brother was treated unjust. So, I laugh at this, man, because I understand how, how these correctional officers really work when it comes to dis the disrespect of us and provoking us. They... I always used to tell people, the hearing officers and the hearing investigators, that if an officer say that Demetrius uh, called him a, a B and said F off, wouldn't it be interesting to know what led to that? Because if I'm saying that the officer said this to me and he said this to me and I just repeated back what he said to me, they don't believe me. But yet they believe that out the clear blue sky, out the clear blue sky, the officer just walked by, and I say, F you, man. Right. You look like Bozo the Clown. Just out the clear blue sky. So that's what gives the officers the power to continue disrespecting us in the worst way, trying to provoke us, and then lying on us on the misconduct because the whole story is never told on the misconduct. And the system bagged that play up. Well, that comes from these shows, man. That comes from A&E, these 60-day, like, okay, so I watched this 60 Days uh, Locked In or whatever this stupid show is, right? And 
what they try to do with this show is give it the appearance that that this these undercover individuals are really going into a live jail and they're filming what really goes on inside a jail. <clears throat> this is this is how TV works, man. And these people are buying this crap, right? They actually think that they're watching like oh my god, A&E. They they really got this this live thing going on. So it's it's getting the people to understand first and foremost, this is a trustee pod, right? Of a county jail that these people go into. It's a it's a specified pod that is that has been designated for this whole event. And then the inmates that they get, they go and choose these trusty inmates that they know are not going to attack any of the, the people. You know, it's it's inmates that they can, and I use the word inmate, that they can rely on and trust on to follow within their scheme. And they put them in this pod. And then they go in there and they film and act as if, you know, they're really living this hardcore banging life in prison. And these are these are most of these people are probably who knows, they could be sex offenders. They could be, uh, you know, uh, government rats. You know, these are the type of individuals that they're rounding up to create these shows that the public watches. To give the perception of what Demetrius just laid out. Right, because you got you got this guy who's who who this is his moment to shine. You know what I mean? And he's going to tough talk this guard because he knows the guard's not going to attack him. It's a show. You know what I mean? So, so you take, you take, uh, let's, let's get to the bread, the, the bread and meat of it. Because the purpose of the tough talk is meant to dehumanize, degrade, and intimidate, threaten the inmate. That's what it's meant for. Now, keep in mind what I said. Dehumanize, degrade, intimidate, and threaten the inmate. So that means that anytime that we're encountered with this harsh language, we are, our lives are being threatened, right? Mm -hmm. So any response that we have is only a response in defense of our life. Because we're being threatened. So the system, the system promotes and advocates that prison guards carry on in this way, that they talk to us in the sharpest way. Because you can go to the warden or write a grievance on this officer for talking to you that way. And this officer have had 10 grievances for the same thing, and ain't nothing ever happened before. So he don't care. Matter of fact, this is what they used to tell us. They say, just make sure you spell my name right. Matter of fact, here's my name. It's spelled this way. Make, let me know when they tell you that they dismiss your grievance so I can laugh in your face. That's how confident they are about uh, their, their, con their misconduct going un, uh, un, un, unchastised, right? So now what this does to the inmates is it makes the inmates upset, it frustrates us, it oppresses us to the point that we say, okay, the system ain't going to do nothing. The system is bagging him up. 
Mm-hmm. I'm not going to keep letting him just disrespect me. So the next time he disrespect me, I'm already threatened, keep in mind, that their language is meant to threaten and intimidate us anyway, dehumanize and degrade us. I'm already, we already have that in our baggage already, that we already threatened, we already traumatized, etc. So now, when this officer steps out of the line like one officer did to me one day, and I got many incidents, but I'm going to tell you this one. I remember uh, I was at level two all the way up north in Michigan. And uh, I think I was, I was talking to another, I was the chairman of the warden forum, so I was over all the prisoners. I was the spokesperson for all the prisoners. I was the liaison between the prisoners and the warden and the administration. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they liked me because I didn't bite my tongue with the warden. And if the inmate was wrong, I'm, I'm, I'm not biting my tongue with you either. So this one sergeant, little cockeyed, little fat bastard, he uh, he seen me at the control center area. And this literally in front of everybody. This is what he did. We was taking uh, piss tests. This is what he did in front of everybody. I'm standing there. and. Uh, I said, well, got to speak to the sergeant because I've been up here all day and I'm supposed to be back at work. This guy came in my face because I'm the chairman of the warden forum. They don't like me. I don't let the police get when we order food for our fundraiser. The police be wanting us to give some to them. I said, no, we paid for it. And we eat it. Mm-hmm. That's if right. The inmate, if the inmate wants to give you some of his stuff, he can do so. But we're not giving you anything out of the box that we paid for. So the sergeant see me, and he walked right up in my face. I'm talking about he talked so bad to me. If I didn't know no better, I would think he was serious. Mm. I would be scared. So I let him talk. All the inmates, they looking at me like. So a few of my friends say, man, you want to mash him? I said, man. I said, I already mashed him in my mind. I said, I already know what I'd do to him. So when you know what you would do to somebody, you ain't got to do it. It's already done. So afterwards, I caught that same sergeant. Just like a half hour later, I caught that same sergeant. After everybody left, took the piss test, I caught him in the back of the control center, just me and him. And he wanted to talk real nice to me. I wasn't going to do nothing to him. But I just wanted him to know that that don't work on me because I will break your neck. I just did nine years in the hole. So, and I let them know that I said, man, listen, I just did nine years in the hole for whooping on several of y'all by myself. You would be an easy target for me, man. All I'm going to ask you to do from here on out is every time you see me, respect me. Because if you don't respect me, I never forgot where I came from. That's all I'm going to tell you. And ever since then, he respected me. But in some cases, it don't turn out that way. It's just a constant, everyday oppression. And, and the thing of it is, is that when you come through reception, man, like when you come on the yard and they, and, they, and they do their intake, these officers are telling you, like the lieutenant, the captain, whoever, they'll come, they'll talk to you and they'll say, listen, you respect my guards, my guards will respect you. You show them respect, they will respect you. This is what we're told. We go out in the yard, we show our respect to the guards, and right out of the gate, you know, shut your ass up, get at your ass in the cell, 
you ain't going home. This is my yard. Shut, you know, all this crap, right? And you're like, whoa, you know? So let me tell you about the first time a guard put his hands on me, right? The first time a guard put his hands on me, I'll never forget it, man. I'll never forget it. I still know what this with this dude's because there's not too many humans that has walked this planet that have put their hands on me and 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 had no repercussions and th- and that bothers me right so this particular person right I went to state prison for my very first time and I went through a place called North Florida Reception Center which is known as Lake Butler Lake Butler is no- notorious it's a very notorious prison one for the for the manner that it it's it uh it controls itself and two uh these guards will kill you and they let you know that as soon as you get on the yard mm. they tell you that um that the 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 sharpshooters that are up in the towers one at one i can't remember it was a female i can't remember her name but you know she was proclaimed to be one of the the best sharpshooters sharp in the nation you know um, they walk you around. Now, on this particular compound, you got to walk on the right side of the concrete in a perfect shoulder-to-shoulder line. You will not see any inmate on this compound walking or breaking formation, right? Like they got this place completely militarized. Um, they walk you. They have they have an uh, an airport, a runway on the compound. And they walk you by this 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 runway and they tell you, just like this, right? They tell you, if you ever feel like you just can't do your time anymore, your wife, uh, you find out your wife is leaving you, uh, you want to commit suicide, you just don't want to do your time anymore, just start running for this runway. And I guarantee your life will end. He says... Either run for the runway or run for the gate. And he says, if you look behind the, the runway, right, you'll see a bunch of woods. Back there in those woods are inmates who did not want to comply. So if you want to go home and you want to make it out of here, just do what you're told to do and just pass through. Because North, it's a reception center, so you're just coming through and then going to your final destination. Right. So it's it's an intake outtake. It's a it's a heavy transit place. But this place was on point. Now, I was a JIT coming through and I went through the through the JIT and annex and late at night, right about 10, 11, because we locked down at eight o'clock. Lights went out at 10, about 10, 30, 11 o'clock. Some inmates were making a bunch of noise. They wouldn't stop. So the CEO that was on on deck that night. He comes in and pulls us all out of the cell and makes us stand in the middle of the dorm, shoulder to shoulder in formation, until somebody told on who was making the noise. Now it comes to about, we stood there, partner, for about two and a half hours, three hours. And it came to a point to where nobody would say anything. And I just sucked my teeth because the guard said it. The guard came back in and he's like, y'all ready to talk? Nobody said anything. Was, All right, you guys got another two hours. I'll be back. And I was just like, and that man came right over to me, stood right in front of me 
and asked me, he said, did you just suck your teeth at me, boy? And I just kind of, <laughs> and I just, and, and now, you know, and I just kind of look to the side like this here. When I look to the side, this dude slapped me harder than I've ever been slapped in my life. I'm talking about when he slapped me, everything, dog, he hit me so hard that my homeboy that went up the road with me, he was down the line. He said, he said, homie, do not hit him. That's instantly what he said, because he knows me. Homie, don't hit him. And I just ate it. I bit my lip and this bitch smacked me again. And my whole face was on fire. And this was a small little Irish dude. And he had dip. He had so much dip in his mouth. Like that shit was coming out of the corner of his mouth. And when he smacked me again, homie said, homie, they'll kill you. They'll hurt you. And I bit my lip. And then he just said, everybody to yourselves. And went in there and locked down. And we went in there. My homeboy was like, man, listen, just let it go. Let it go. He's like, I know it. It hurts. But listen, man, that's what they want you to do. He wanted you to hit him because he was going to get off on you. You know what I mean? He was going to make an example out of you. So just do what you got to do. But that moment right there, partner, I told myself I will never, ever let another man put his hands on me like that again. So I changed my whole outlook and I never put myself in that type of position again. Right. And it made me start thinking, how far am I willing to go? Where's my line at? If I'm not willing to put my hands back on this guard because I know that that's what he wants, then I have to know where my limitations are at. And I can't try him. If I'm not willing to cross that line, I can't try him. You know what I mean? And and I never really had no no other issues with no guards after that. I have one altercation with a lieutenant. But nothing, nothing that severe, nothing to where they, they put their hands on me. When we'd be in the shoe and these dudes would be bucking, taking their mattress and wrapping it up against the door, flooding the cells and all this stuff. I never really got into that stuff. I didn't get into throwing piss on guards, shit on guards, things like that. You know what I mean? Uh, hey, man, you, you, you do a lot better than me, man. And let me tell you something, man. He put his hands on me, man. They're gonna have to keep putting their hands on me because I'm but first of all, what they know about me is they know they know I'm well loved. Mm. So like at another facility, I was the chairman of the warden forum again, and uh I used to bring up a lot of officer issues. I single out officers, I don't pull no punches, I say the name. And I remember uh I was walking down the stairs coming from child, child is in the units, walking down the stairs and the officer ran up on me so fast that his face bumped into my face. Mm. And he went to cussing me out like this. And I went to laughing. And I'm with a, with a lot of guys, all of us did time, I did nine years straight in the hole. The man did seven and a lot of guys did five and six for, you know, stabbing up, beating up police or stabbing inmate, whatever. And he did this to me. And he went to cussing me out. I said, officer, I have no idea what you're referring to. And he kept cussing me out. And uh, some of his other officers, they came and grabbed him. And so they seen all the inmates mobilizing behind me. 
They know they didn't have a chance because it ain't but three or four officers in the unit. And you got at least 10, 15 of us, if not more. These are just the ones that I know that been to the hole with me, we gonna go. And, and the officer ended up talking to me a little bit, a couple months later, month later, whatever it was. And I told him, I said, man, first of all, I didn't even know what you was talking about. Second of all, you assaulted me. I don't play that. I said, third of all, man, I ain't scared of none of y'all. Because afterwards, after this, they called me in the office during count time, not even in the office, in a back office, to where it's off camera. And, and it's like five or six of them. And I went in there. They thought I wasn't going to come in there. I went in there and sat down. I said, how y'all doing, man? And I'm just sizing all of them up. Because, and they could see one of them, the lieutenant really could see how I'm sizing everybody up because I'm looking, seeing where everybody at, seeing what they got in their hand, if they got, you know, a, a mace in their hand or something like that. And I'm just looking around. How y'all doing, man? Y'all up in here like y'all ready to do something. And I confidently sat down. But they seen this, man. And I just, I always think about this type of stuff because the way that they provoke and they tough talking, the way that they do this, man, is society don't even understand, man. You know, it's like I used to tell my aunt, I, I had to get my aunt out of the habit of always saying if I'm in a hole or, or some, what you do this time? I got them out of the habit. I said, why can't it be what they did? What they did. You can never understand the extent to which they will go to dehumanize us and oppress us. You will never understand the extent to which they'll go unless you move, remove the blinders from your eyes and stop prejudging the situation. Let's Don't talk about the book. Let's talk about that song, man. Let's get into some of the things, some of the antics that they do, right? What what are some of the antics that they do? Like say, say for some of my experience, like some of these officers, what they'll do is They'll work visitation, right? And you'll be out in visitation with your fine lady, right? Because you know that your woman comes, she comes dressed. She comes dressed to kill because she wants to impress her man, right? And these guards are just sitting there looking at these women, right? Now, when these women leave, these guards will approach these women out in the parking lot, right? And they'll go up to these women and tell them, listen, man, I really feel that you should know that your man messes with gay people out on the compound or your man is a drug addict doing drugs or doing all of these things. They will try to hit on your woman in front of your children. They will embarrass you in the visitation room by, by, by breaking you down, embarrassing you in front of your children, in front of your women, right? These are some of the things that I've experienced personally where I'm with my family and that guard will just, hey, Thomas, come here, come here. And just wave me over to the desk like I'm his child. And then sit there and, and scold me in front of everybody. You know what I mean? To where you, you're put in a crossfire like, man, listen, man, you're playing with fire right now in front of my family. You know, you got to come back to the dorm. Oh, you know, I'm just playing with you. You know, whatever, when they get back in the dorm, man, I was just playing with you or whatever. But 
How, how do we get the public to understand how that affects us? Uh, the one thing the public, you know, when the public say that a person's institutionalized, right? Because a, a, a guy walk around and he looking like this, or <laughs> or he just go lay, literally, I'm talking about at home now, lay on his bunk, turn on his TV on, at his bunk, and he don't really come outside too much to talk to nobody. That's because the trauma. You know, this mm -hmm. is when society go to talking about that guy is too, he weird, he this. It's a reason. You have to understand the verbal abuse, the verbal attack, the criticism, the judgment. The, I mean, this verbal assault that we endured during this uh, time period that we was incarcerated, they have to understand that we really going through this. No different than uh, it's always said that, uh, uh, what is it, verbal, uh, uh, verbal assault in a, domestic, in a, in a uh, domestic relationship is worse than a physical assault. Absolutely. Psychological. A psychological abuse is, is a lot worse than physical abuse. It lasts. Of course. So now this is what we have. We try to get society to understand is that the, the things that we endured throughout our prison bits, whether it happened to me or whether you've seen it happen to me, because in your mind, you know that it can happen to you too. So you traumatized still. So, and then you taking, just by you telling me that story about, they told you about the woods and it's a lot of inmates over there they over there because they didn't follow the rules. Come on, man. If that ain't traumatizing, if that don't make us come out here and be totally against the police, apprehensive of the police, we was already apprehensive in the first place. And now we in there and the same people who was paid to serve and protect, the same people who sit in the visiting room with our family, trying to be friendly with our family, who just smacked up the guy over here, took the guy food over there. They don't, our family ain't understanding this. I always told my family, that's a foul maggot right there. He's a foul maggot. He's a foul maggot. I'm He's telling you. I used I to tell mine to him. I tell my, my family the same thing, man. No question. Yeah, and, yeah. and the traumatized, you're so you're so right. Man, listen, man, you're you're so on point about that, D. Because that that right in itself, like I, I'm just a 20-year-old kid. You know what I mean? I'm just a 20-year-old kid who is thrust in this violent world of grown adults that I have no idea. Like my first time going out to the yard, I'm walking by the, the little shack and there was, a, there was a handicapped dude in a wheelchair, bless his heart, that they kept up, doped up on Thurazine and, and he had a crash helmet on. They called him Crash, right? He'd be in a wheelchair, he had a helmet on because he'd have seizures and they kept this guy on Thurazine. Man, my first time going out onto the yard, homeboy, I'm walking by the bathroom. This dude got crashed, bent over the sink, hitting him from behind. You know what I mean? Like, like I'm just a 20-year-old kid experiencing all this stuff for the first time. Like, you're so po on point about the trauma. The trauma that we see, and we can't unsee that stuff. We can't unsee it, man. <laughs> I remember stuff, man, that... All right, so I, I, there's a police officer, a correctional officer, 
named Jack Bud, right? He was known to be very racist. I mean, this is literally documented, known to be very racist, known to be very foul, one of the foulest polices around, known to play the tough talk. So a lot got into it with inmates all the time. And so my friend, my homeboy, his mother had just passed away. He had been in prison, came, came back to prison. That's what I was the screen I was trying to show you. Came back to prison in 1982. Came back to prison for joy riding a stolen car. He got a uh, three to 15, joy riding a stolen car. Now, he uh, this, this police officer, Jack Bud, the guy mother just died. Police officer Jack Bud is now harassing this guy. You know, guys say, man, he can't leave me alone. Leave me alone. The, the police officer, foul as he is, keep pushing, keep pushing, harassing the guy. So he stabbed him. Stabbed him. The police officer, guy stabbed up, officer running up or whatever happened. That was uh, 1987. So the federal judge, I mean, they end up giving him a, a life sentence at 80, 80 to 120 years. He started off with 315, I mean, 3 to 15 years, joy riding a stolen car. Now he has a life sentence, uh, 80 to 120, like a 40 to 60, a 30 to 60. He got several, and he's been in the hole for 35 years. Hmm. Now, to this very day, the Michigan Department of Corruption still refuses to let him out the hole, still refuses to acknowledge that the officer Jack Bud, he got stuff named after him now, that the officer Jack Bud was definitely a cancer in the prison system with, the, with respect to the correctional officers because he always incited inmates, provoked inmates, harassed and threatened inmates. But they still refuse to acknowledge it. And this is the problem. I mean, how much, what more needs to be, what could draw that type of wrath from an inmate that he would actually kill the officer as opposed to just slap him up? Right. Unless, unless you really just, unless you really just got that character that you, and this is the situation, man. And if we, you know, we fight for training, real training of correctional officers and discipline of correctional officers. We fight for this because we understand the trauma that comes along with allowing their behavior to continue. If their behavior is to continue, now you're going to have a society that's going to be scared of people getting out of prison and always talking about that he traumatized, he this, he did. Yes, he is. I agree with you 110%. But let's deal with the other part of the issue. How do we prevent this trauma from befalling the next guy that's getting out? How about that? Right, these because guys, these guys that out. are coming back into our community. But right. to, to wrap up tonight, let me let me share uh, an individual with you. I'm going through exactly this right now, and let me ask you a question and get your your thoughts because I, I really do respect your wisdom, partner. I really, really do. So. This individual I've done a couple shows with, his name is Frank De Palma. 
right? Frank De Palma did 42 years in, in a Nevada state prison and 23 of those years on solitary confinement. Now, he got out. He's been having some severe societal issues, readjusting back into society. One of his yeah. biggest problems is adjusting to time um, because he was in solitary confinement so long, he has no, no concept of time. So he got into uh, a little whatever and pulled a parole violation and went back in. Now, I spoke to him. He just got out two days ago. I spoke to him today. And he told me about how disrespectful the guards were in there, how just dehumanizing, you know, humanizing, how disrespectful. And it was a real eye opener for him. And he just won't he won't do anything to go back in there again. And he, you know, he laid out the story. And at the end of the story, I asked him because I'm listening to him and I asked him. Frank, what do you think people would say about your story? What do you think the society and the public would say about your story when they hear you say you'll never go back again and that yeah. you, this was a real eye opener for you and that obviously how those guards were treating you was what taught you this lesson? So the question I pose to you is, we say all of these things, right? And we, we talk about how horrible prison is and how horrible these guards are. But in fairness, this experience is what has shaped and molded us into who we are. So what do we do about that? How do we look at that right there? Hey, man. <laughs> it takes fire to make a sharp knife. It takes fire. The knife has to be placed into the fire, has to be grinded down in the fire. And someone just texted me, said that my voice is muffled. Yeah. Yeah, your your, your voice is, is a little muffled. You know, I was I was gonna get into, I need to come up there. I really, I'm ready to come up to Michigan, man. Let me check this. Let me check this out. I'm gonna check this out right quick. You're, you're, you're. Is it muffled now? Is it muffled now? You're still about the same. Okay, so that ain't it. All right. But so I need, I need to come up there and get and get you all set up, man. I really do. I'm ready yeah, to come man. up there. I, I really do. I want to. I'm ready to come up there for at least a good three, four days. Come hang out with the fellas, see Larry. Yeah. You know, see you guys and get you set up. So, absolutely. So, yeah, but, man, it's, it's just, man, we're not, see, I think uh, people tend to get us wrong when a person like like the brother would say, after seeing what I've seen and the way they're talking, I'm never going back. No, that's not scaring us. That's not even the reason why we saying that we're not going back. It's just that we're growing up. And we're saying, you know what? It's not worth me spending the rest of my life in prison responding to their garbage. I'd rather sit out here and leave that life to whoever got to deal with it right now. I could fight better without handcuffs on. You know, that's what I always tell my community activists, brothers and sisters. We fight better 
without him. I admitted to a crime that I didn't do just to get out of prison. And I was telling a young lady just uh, a few weeks ago that was on that was on uh, Rick and Neil Facebook Live. I was telling her sometimes you, you might have to tell your son and he got the, you know, he already did the time. My aunt told me that. She said, you already did the time? If they want you to say you did the crime after you already did the time, and that's the only way you're going to get out of prison, do say what you got to say. But do not let them win by you keeping your mouth sealed and you say, well, I ain't do it and I ain't going to. So sometimes we have to take that step and just stand on our idea of freedom. We can fight better without handcuffs on out here. And that's how he got to look at it. Look, man, it ain't the fact. I'm not scared of none of y'all. If anything, I'm scared of what I would do to y'all. That's what I'm scared of, what I do to y'all. Right. And I'm not trying to do that. That's what people see. Again, that's that's what people don't understand, <clears throat> especially these these people in today's society that are walking around, you know, and they're 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 they have these false this false sense of of machismo about them. Right. And they're walking around with their chest out and they're raising their voice and, and, and puffing up to people that they really don't even know what kind of demon lie up under them. And and that's that that's the thing is that, like, dude, listen, I'm not scared of you, partner. I'm scared of what will happen to me after I get done doing what I'm going to do to you. That's what I'm scared of. Don't get right. that twisted. Don't please don't get that twisted, you know. Mm. But. D, another great conversation, man. New Year, what's your what's your what's your resolution? Well, I I'll be the big fifty Monday, so yeah, you know, mine's coming. I make it to fifty. I'm great, man. Hey, that's a half a century right there. I mean, half a yeah, half a de- half a century. Wow, half a decade, half a decade, half yeah. a century. Half well, a you century. had it right the first yeah, time, yeah. right? Decade ten. That's a half a. Uh, Half a century. Half a century. Well, I'm, I'm good, man. Uh, I just told myself to be truthful. I told myself that I got to get on my communication ground. I mean, seriously. My podcast, my uh, my social activism, I have to, because I realized I don't care how much I've done, how much I've accomplished. I've been playing. I've done a whole lot and people applaud me for doing X, Y, and Z. But man, I've been playing because I have wasted many good hours. Like today, I sat on my couch for, I mean, this was after I woke up, way after five, six, seven hours and didn't do nothing. Sometimes hey. you need that. Don't get me wrong. Hey, but man, on, listen, man. we done put that work in. We deserve that, partner. I'll go two or three yeah. days and won't do nothing. Honestly. I won't I won't even look at my phone, answer text. People be like, where the hell you at? Man, I'm breaking. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm breaking. I need that. Because yeah. I know how hard I go in the paint. You know what I mean, right. partner? I know how hard I go in the paint. It's okay. Don't ever feel don't and I get that. I do get that. I'll but that'll I have to fight against that when I'm when I'm trying to relax and I tell myself, man, I could be answering emails, I could be doing things. No, no, sit your ass down and just take a break. That's okay, partner. That's all right. Yeah. I really don't have, I'm just going to keep it trucking, man. I got, but I got, so January 20th, 
right? Uh, a gentleman, Mr. Craig Powell in PowerNet, and uh, a Mr. Damon Thrash um, from Ink to Ink, and I is sitting down in front of the <clears throat> the public committee board, the safety public committee board, to sit down and, and discuss this whole Operation Empower thing that we got going on in Tampa Bay. I don't want to speak too much more on that, because this, this is going to really shock the system. And yeah. then uh, yesterday, man, I spoke with uh, Mr. John Cochran, who is the lead professor, I believe, over in the criminology department over at USF and wants to meet me ASAP, face to face, sit down, put me in front of some of his colleagues so we can sit down yeah. and start talking. So really, that's what I got to look forward in the new year, whatnot. But um, listeners, thank you guys for tuning in. As Mr. Demetrius said, he's trying to get his social on, so please, he's got we we built him a podcast. Please go subscribe and like his podcast. You can find him on Facebook just by searching his name. He goes live on Facebook. He's got channels. He's got websites. Please help this man out. A uh, real good dude, man, and doing excellent things in the community. So and by the way, yeah, I'll be we'll be downtown in Detroit having a. Uh our annual rally downtown in Detroit on January 25th. No matter if it's rain, sleet, or snow, we do it every year to commemorate uh, uh, Louis, uh, Montgomery versus Louisiana, the, the United States Supreme Court op opinion that made retroactive Miller versus Alabama, which was the case for juvenile lifers to set us free, tell these people that they have to resentence us. We commemorate this. Every year on January 25th, we'll be downtown at Detroit, the Wayne County Youth Home. And then we're going to walk to the Wayne County Courthouse and we're going to have some speakers right there. I am the one organizing it under my The Great Minds Project 5.0. It's going to be all it's going to stream on every social network. Hey, man, I have to live stream. You say January 25th? January 25th <clears throat> at 12 o'clock. What's the temperature like in Detroit on January 25th? Oh man, it's gonna be it's gonna be every year it's freezing cold, but but we didn't did it every year. One day, one year it was raining and cold. We were yeah. still out there. Yeah, no, I'll just stay down here, partner, and just live stream it from sunny Florida. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> so I'll just live so stream. Be out there. I'm trying to get a whole lot of organizations to get put their hand in it because so many guys that who whom have passed away this year was part of certain other organizations. Certain other nonprofit organization. We're trying to get those nonprofits in honor of the brother that passed away, or the sister that passed away, or our, one of our attorneys passed away. We're trying to get them to come. They they usually there every year anyway, but we want to encourage them to come this year because I'm really doing it. I'm sponsoring it by myself. Mm. I'm organizing it by myself. You know, I got a few people that said they're gonna help me. I got to build a flyer. I got to do all of this stuff on January 25th. But hey, that ain't nothing to a champion, so I'm ready. It is what it is, man. We just get up and we get it done, man. So praise you for, for doing what you do, D, man. Just stay safe. Happy birthday. I'll connect with you on Monday. But Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Big five. Oh, this is going to be my first significant 50th birthday. I turned 40, 48 this year, I believe. But my 50s coming up. But this will be my first significant time, God, God willing, that I'll be free celebrating a decade birthday. Absolutely, man. So I'm I'm looking <laughs> I'm looking forward to that, and it's kind of like a, a bittersweet thing, I guess. You know. Absolutely. 
Love you guys, man. You guys stay safe, stay blessed. And until next week, man, we out of here. Peace, y'all. Hmm.